0: All right we will do our bible reading now so this morning we're reading from jonah chapter 1 verses 1-5 through and we'll be using the esv translation so join with me now as we read jonah chapter 1 now the word of the lord came to jonah the son of amittai saying arise go to nineveh that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me but jonah rose to flee to tarshish from the presence of the lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down, and was fast asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Oh, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And uh, we ask, Father, your hand to be upon us, and your spirit to be moving in us as we discuss it. May you speak to us those words that each one of us needs to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, when I was a... Uh, new believer and just became a believer in Jesus when I was 27 in Israel, one of the things that struck me most or the perhaps the sensation that was most vivid to me was the sense that God is real, that there was a sense that God is actually where I am. You know, I'd be walking outside and I'd be thinking, wow, I could just talk to God and ask him to turn the light green, you know, because he's here. And actually, oftentimes it wasn't just this kind of fun idea that God was here. It actually also filled me with, you know, I don't know if it's just like fear that I thought, man, God actually sees me. I, you know, I think it'd been 10 years since I ever, since I cried even more, but I find myself almost crying weakly, thinking God actually saw the things I said and knew the things I was thinking. It was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a wonder and a terror at the same time. But I remember being confused because some of the people I was at the hostel with, you know, I I talked to them about that. You know, we'd be praying and worshiping God and they'd be teaching the Bible. And yet one of the guys I know had done some things he really shouldn't have done. And I was like, what what, what happened? You know, how how could you do that stuff when you, you know God is there? God is seeing you. And he made this kind of funny motion. He goes, I know sometimes it's kind of like, I kind of like have like a little shade I pull down and I think maybe God's behind that shade and he can't see me. I thought how is that possible? You know we're uh, continuing our series today in the book of Jonah called uh, Rescuing Jonah and there we talk about rescuing Jonah in one part from you know the realm of an a odd story that gets played in children's books to its place as an incredibly unique, fascinating and insightful book of scripture, a, a book in which there's nothing else like it. Fascinating piece. But it's also the play on rescuing is, it's also about the way God works to rescue Jonah from his waywardness. And Jonah's speaking about how God rescues all of us and is seeking to rescue us from our own tendency towards waywardness, to go away from God. You know, and that's the great question. I mean, how do we end up going places we never wanted to go, doing the things we never wanted to do, being the people we really don't want to be? How do we get there? That's one of the things we're going to talk about today as we talk about Jonah. because I think the the book in Jonah gives some interesting insights as to how Jonah got there. And uh, so we're going to talk uh, largely about kind of grabbing these first half of chapter one of Jonah. And seeing some of the big picture again of what's happening in Jonah and and even how it connects to the rest of scriptures, which is doing a lot. And then secondly, going, how does that give us insight into how Jonah got where he's going? And then lastly, how does that give us insight how we end up in those places? So Jonah today, the first half running from God. So initially, again, as we look at the high view of Jonah, Jonah is in the book of the minor prophets in our scriptures. In the old Hebrew, you know, organization of it, it's actually called part of the 12. They just call these 12 minor prophets, the 12. Now, what's weird about that is Jonah's not like the other 11 minor prophets where it's stuck right in the middle of, right? All those other ones are prophecies, You know, the prophets and the whole thing's a prophetic declaration to some situation or some kind of people. Jonah is not a prophetic declaration. It's not a prophecy at all. It's the story about a prophet. It's a story about Jonah. So in some ways it's much more like the book of Esther or the book of Ruth, or uh, in some ways actually even really echoing the book of uh, Kings with Elijah and Elisha, it's much more like that. But then in other ways, it's not at all like it in the sense that those books all have different characters named, and there's this interaction between all these people. Jonah has no other person specifically named except Jonah in the entire book. You have some groupings of people, you know, the sailors and the Ninevites. You have a big fish, you have a worm, you have a plant, you have some cattle, you know, wearing sackcloth. And that's it, except there is one other character that's named besides Jonah, and that's the Lord, which right there gives you an insight as to really what's happening in this book and what it's really about, those two main characters. So now, the, uh, another thing that's kind of odd about it is you know, the opening line of Jonah sounds like a pro- the normal prophecy. It says, you know, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Uh, saying, you know, and then the Lord said, and that would seem normal, but actually what's funny is that never actually shows up at the start of prophetic books. It shows up kind of in the middle, right? Every time a book starts, it kind of gives the setting. For instance, like, you know, Micah said, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, Moresheth, during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So it gives this whole setting, and everything kind of gives a setting like that. Jonah gives no setting, the whole book just kind of like drops out of the sky with a sense of timelessness. And uh, he says he's sending off to Nineveh and Nineveh, it gives no information as to what Nineveh did. It just said the wickedness has come up before him, like before his face, before the Lord's face. And that's all we know. And then Jonah is being sent to Nineveh. Now that's pretty weird also because the prophets never got sent to other places outside of Israel, right? They prophesied sometimes about these other nations, but they never actually were told to you go to Nineveh physically and tell them something, which is just, again, oddities. And I, I, I talk about Jonah is just you got to raise. It's a complete oddity of all this stuff. So, you know, they, again, it's almost like a, a parody of what a prophet would do. And so he's supposed to go off to Nineveh. And what we know about Nineveh also is um, this is actually there's another interesting just to kind of push it together. One thing that's strange about Jonah also is it's totally simple Hebrew. Incredibly simple Hebrew. Um, if you wanna, the, the Hebrew kind of changes throughout the Old Testament and it's simplest way back in Genesis. And then it kind of gets more complex as you go along and as it gets towards these minor prophets, it's actually very complex, except in Jonah. Jonah's like this incredibly simple vocabulary, repetitive vocabulary. And, and I think one of the purposes is, is that you use a lot of this simple vocabulary to put yourself in these other places of Scripture, it like transports you almost word for word into these other places, and you're supposed to hear that and see that. Uh, remember, in oral culture in particular, you'd hear a word or plays on words, and that would then take you to other parts of Scripture. So it's one of the ways in which an oral culture works. And so, using all this very simple language, you can imagine this being taking you to places of Scripture. I hear tarshish, right now. Tarshish is a um, you know was at one point you know the Assyrian kingdom it was the capital not the whole time and we don't again we don't know what time this is or even when a king would have been there um, and it was you know a horrible place and huge Assyrian but we really don't have any other information besides this city Tarshish and I actually think the key to grasping it is its scriptural illusion you know, it goes all the way back to Genesis 10 and the nations that were going to be made, And it's, it's part of a little grouping of nations that were the sons of um, Nimrod, which were kind of these not great places like Babylon and Nineveh is placed in there. And one of the things that takes your ear back to it is it says, Nineveh, the great city. You know, and that word, boom, boom, is like right there in Genesis 10. And so it almost like pulls you back that it's this biblical place of a a, a wicked place, you know, a place of of the nations that will ultimately have judgment like Babylon, you know, and Tower of Babel comes in later after that, and it's part of that grouping, right? But what we know also then is that while while Jonah comes up and he's sent to Tarshish, what does he do? I mean, sent to Nineveh, what does he do? He says he gets up and he flees to Tarshish. And just to look at the map for a second again, to because it becomes obvious what it, the effect is, right? Nineveh, which is, you know, modern day uh, Mosul in Northern Iraq, you know, would have been one direction. And he gets up and he goes to Tarshish, which is all the way in the opposite direction. we don't even actually know where Tarshish is. This is one of the best guesses, you know, but maybe many people say couldn't even farther from that all the way back to India, when he consider the, the exotic animals that would come back from Tarshish. Uh, every three years with Solomon. Uh, but the very idea that every time you saw the word Tarshish, it always seemed to be uh, associated with the end of trade routes, like this far place to go. But if you if you do what I think is going on, in that you're taking these language and taking different parts of scripture and connecting it, like in Isaiah 66, Tarshish is mentioned in a really interesting way. You know, Isaiah 66 is at the consummation of all things. So after God, you know, comes and, you know, that he again reigns on earth and made all things together. Then he says, they're going to send people out to Tarshish at that point, because it says specifically about Tarshish, they have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. So they're going to proclaim it out there. So Tarshish is so far away that they've never even heard about the Lord. They've never seen his glory. Tarshish is a place where God is not And so that is why Jonah wants to go there, right? He's, here's the presence of the Lord. He wants to go to the farthest place in the opposite direction to a place where God is not, where you don't have to worry about God's word is not, his glory is not seen, that's where he's heading. Now you might say for a moment, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're saying Tarshish is a place where God is not. I thought God was everywhere. Ah, That's the point hold on to that. This is always what's going on with Jonah, right? There's this, as I mentioned like a satire element, this parody element that this prophet of God is trying to go to a place where God can't be found, where he's not found. And you go, that's not possible, right? So now watch the language a little more carefully, specifically in Jonah's thing. If we look at this um, <clears throat> couple of verses, it says, it's not just that he went, rose to flee to Tarshish, it was specifically From the presence of the Lord. It says he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it, go to Tarshish. And this is like, you could see the, um, it's what they call a chiasm, you know, where it ends and starts and ends in the same place and goes down and comes back out. And that's, there's the point. He's going to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And then it uses that phrase again, later, the sailors say, what is, what, you know, what are you doing, Jonah? He told them he's going away from the presence of the Lord. So this is specifically what he's trying to do, get away from the presence of the Lord, which, by the way, is like before the face of the Lord, literally. That's what the presence of the Lord is. So it says the wickedness of Tarshish, uh, wickedness of Nineveh came up before the face of the Lord. And Jonah decided to get away from the face of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. Sorry about that. So. The presence of the Lord is like this unique place prophets got to go, right? They, they they were like prophets uniquely were in the presence of the Lord. They uniquely got to see things other people didn't see. Like, you know, sometimes in Elijah or Elisha, they they saw the armies of God, you know, they saw things from the heavenly seat, you know, they saw things that were happening in the heavenly realm that other people didn't. You know, they and they would take words from the presence of God to the people. For instance, Elijah said, um, you know, Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. It's a great line. It, because before whom I stand means, and the word right there is in the presence. Basically, I am in the presence. I am standing in the presence of God. He gave me this word, and I am giving that word to you, right? So that's kind of how the prophets worked. And so then, basically, this happens with Jonah, right? The, the evil of the Ninevites have come before the presence of God, Jonah gets told from the presence of God to go over to Nineveh and give them this word from God about your, your, judgment, you know, cry out to them from God. And so, but what does Jonah do? Something no prophet ever does is he flees from that presence in the opposite direction. And that's the key word you've got to grasp too: flee, flee the presence of God, the presence of the Lord. Now, when you hear that phrase, your mind immediately goes, I know that phrase. I know that phrase, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And you think of what we've heard a couple of times today already of Psalm 139. If you go up on Psalm 139, we take a look, you know, Psalm 139, by the way, someone, if you don't know Psalm 139, if there's one thing, you're like, I'm new to the Bible, I wanna figure out new stuff. Look, someone told me, read, when I was a brand new believer, read Psalm 139 every day for 30 days. Skip over the weird part at the end, although I don't recommend that. That's what I was told. And it will change your life, they said. And it was actually amazing because it's really about God, how much God knows you and all that he knows, much like Kelly talked about before, you know, begins saying, Lord, you search me, you know me, you know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You know, he goes on, you know, before uh, words on my tongue, you know, it completely you're familiar with all my ways. But then re- then it goes into a rhetorical question. If you look at the next slide. He says, where can I go from your spirit? And the parallel, where can I flee from your presence? Exactly the phrase Jonah's doing. Where, you know, he's trying to flee from the presence, but the psalmist says, where can I flee from your presence? You know, if I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, which is the word for sheol all the way down. Don't be surprised that that's the exact word Jonah uses in the, in the belly of the great fish in chapter two, that word sheol in the depths, you know, the, the place of the, the dead, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I do what? If I settle on the far side of the sea, right? Which is exactly what he's trying to do, right? Jonah's trying to go to the far side of the sea. Even there, you're right, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast, right? It's a rhetorical question in Psalm 139. You know, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go if I go to the far side of the sea? You know, you are there. Basically, I can't possibly get away from you. But then Jonah's taking this thing, <laughs> this gets so wild. He's quoting these scriptures, right? But he's turning them on their heads. Rather than kind of like echoing it here, he, he's basically going, well, I'm gonna test that Psalm 139 theory. You know, I think I can actually pull this off. I think I can get away from the presence of the Lord. I can do this. I'm going to go down. I think my, if that doesn't work, I'm going to get my beds in the depth. You know, I'm, I'm going to try all this stuff that they're saying I should, I that will never work. And so he's actually is trying to go to the farthest place away, to the far side of the sea, trying to flee from him. But what's the, what's the, what's the book of Jonah then saying, basically? It's not going to work because God's kind of then coming at you, and then says the Lord, you know, you know, they're out on the water, and it says he hurls a great wind, which forms a tempest on the water, and even there, if you're thinking in your mind going, I think he's quoting scripture other places, you're going, oh, where do you, where do you think of presence of God, great wind, does it ring a bell to anybody, you know, there's so much about Elijah's story, which is being replayed here. Remember from uh, in four, even with the, the worm, all that kind of stuff, he says, I want to die. Same language from Elijah out there. And then God actually takes Elijah up onto a mountaintop. And he says, stand in my presence. And what's it say then? A great wind. Remember, but then God wasn't in that wind. And eventually God speaks to him in a whisper. And what's the whisper basically? It's the calling of God to go and preach, right? And even to another nation, that was actually one of the few places where someone was called to go up into this area, but that was like it. So here we have um, Jonah in the presence of God with a calling to go. And what does he do? He leaves the presence of God. And so what's he run right into? That great wind. You know, he's, he's like going right into that wind. The wind that you would go away from, so it's like again, it's the it's quoting scripture but turning it on its head, the very wind which gets associated with the wrath of God, a tempest upon the things. You know, they, other you know, Psalms and other scriptures would say, God send your tempest upon them. You know, this uh, this this great storm, your wind. And so, and 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 keep in mind, the word for wind is the same as the word for spirit, same thing. And here's this great wind coming on there. So it's almost like the wrath of God is coming towards him now that, he, that he's not protected in the presence of God from all this stuff. He's gone into it as he flees out of the presence of God, as he flees his calling. So what does Jonah do then? He basically is like, now send me off into the depths. That's how to get out of this thing you know, gun into the waters, into the chaos of that. And that's how you got to understand the waters, right? The water, when we think of the waters, we think of, oh, beautiful sunrise and sunset and peaceful and calm and wonderful, but that is not the way they thought about the waters back then. The waters were terrifying. You know, it's a, it's kind of like, I, I love swimming in the ocean, love it. But there's always this element that I'm kind of like a little freaked out. Cause I'm like, is there something underneath me? <laughs> is there something going to come up? I don't know what's in there. I'm feeling really small, really powerless, big water, and anything can come up at any time. And I have to like, keep that, like, stop thinking about that while I'm out there on the waters. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't stop thinking about that. They were always thinking about that. They knew when something got thrown over sea, it was disappeared, vanished into the darkness, never to return, never to be seen again. And to go down into it was like into the abyss. And that became the word, like uh, Abusan, the Greek, you know, became the word for abyss. It's like the place of the dead, the, the nether world down there, you know, into the oceans, the depths to be gone. And essentially that is where Jonah is going now, to go away from the presence of God. I am going to, you know, and it's interesting. He, he, there was even a call from the captain in there. It said, he comes all the way down and he's asleep. And he says, arise, Jonah, arise and call on your Lord. It's the same, you know, same language. And he instead goes, no, throw me over into the chaos, into the abyss where I'm gone. And so essentially what Jonah becomes is this, this picture here of this fleeing from God, ultimately down into the chaos and almost the wrath and the uh, separation from God into the darkness inside the, inside the big fish where he sits in darkness for three days. So you're, and, and now what's going on with this? Now, if you remember the big picture, right, that this is a prophetic book, right? But it's speaking a different way in a prophecy. It's speaking prophetically to Israel because Israel Jonah is playing out the life of Israel. So it's, a, it's a hard thing to grasp, is that Jonah's unfaithfulness is picturing uh, Israel's unfaithfulness, right? You know, Jonah, the chosen prophet by God to bring God's word, which is, which is Israel's calling, right? They're, Israel was called as a revelation, right? To, to bring God's word out to the world, to be a blessing to the nations. They're supposed to come out there and yet, they're not following God. They've turned astray from God. They've actually become one who have borne the the judgment of God and are bearing the judgment of God and the wrath of God because they're not following him, and they won't come near him. They won't listen to him. So in some ways, Jonah's the picture of that, the picture of them even falling ultimately, you know, into that, you know, into the abyss. But remember, also, God never totally, he always eventually redeems Israel even from that farthest pit to bring them back to life, which is almost like a picture of the Babylonian judgment across them, yet God left a remnant, you know, before them and and resurrected them, you know, even as it talks in Romans. But as we understand Israel's call then, in the scripture, Israel also speaks to us, right? Israel's the means of revelation, you know, God reveals his promises, his purposes, his Messiah, ultimately the, the law so we can understand his plan. But a key part of Israel too is that they, they show what people are like their typical people their unfaithfulness is our unfaithfulness when we watch israel's difficulty in following god it is our difficulty in following god and so this is a this becomes like a prophetic warning to us not to fall away from following god into that abyss and so then we ask some of that question right clear, how did they get to the abyss how did they get to this place of following it and there's, again, there's like this weird word play going on in Jonah, and you're supposed to kind of almost feel its drumbeat of how it gets there. And especially in these verses right here, it's this idea of up and down, right? The word comes to Jonah saying, arise, right? Come up, arise. It's like a resurrection language. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. So Jonah arose. It's like the same word. He, so Jonah arises, but he flees to Tarshish. And then what's happening, he doesn't go up, he goes, and one reason I took the ESV is it uses all this, the NIV doesn't use the down language, so you kind of miss it. But in the Hebrew, again, simple Hebrew, you can't miss it. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, he paid the fare and went down into the ship, and then go to Tarshish, and then when he's on the water, he went down into the inner part of the ship, and then says he laid down and was fast asleep. And that last one is a, a different verb for death. It's not down, but what's interesting, it's the word for sh- sleep. It's a weird word for sleep that has the same letters. So again, orally, <laughs> it would have this effect. You know, it goes, yarad is down. It goes, yarad, yarad, yarad. And sleep is yaradam, you know, boom, boom, boom. And it's funny, the, the uh, Septuagint, the Greek says, and he snored like even catching kind of the comic extreme element of it. You know, the the Hebrew doesn't have that, but they like add snoring because he is, and the idea is that he is spiritually dead at that point. You, You know, God is coming after that boat, you know, and coming with the storm and the wrath and he hears nothing. He sees nothing. He is God, you know. And, that, and that's part of this, I think the picture of how we get there is this at each decision, right? Each decision, there's a little drop. He has the calling from God and he goes, no. And he decides to go to Joppa and he goes down away from God to Joppa. And then it's, he pays the wages for the ship and he goes down into the ship farther from God. And then he goes out there and all the wrath's coming, and he is so far down, he even like, again, the captain, arise, call on your Lord, and he goes, no, throw me farther down into the sea, away from all this, doesn't use the word down, but it's the, the picture there is so clear, down, 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 away, and part of the, the picture is, that's how we fall away from the Lord, that's how we run into problems, bit by bit by bit, decision, 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 till we end up in a place. And the crazy thing is, right, he's doing all this while he still says to the sailors, I worship the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. In fact, the word is I fear, right? I fear the Lord who did this. And you're going, no, you don't. How could you say this stuff and yet find yourself so far away? Knowing who you are, and doing the opposite of what God wants. You know, and I talked to my friend about you know, like how this stuff happens, you know, how he pulls a little thing over. You know, you realize it's a series of decisions. He didn't end up in that place of doing that stuff he did. It was decision by decision by decision, you know, not knowing something wasn't quite right, then doing something else, he doesn't know what's right. And each parking a little more numb to it. You can see with Balaam, you know, Balaam, who the. Prophet eventually gets judged. He's, you know, he 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 talks about how you must only speak the words from God, yet God is in his way going, I know your ways unsteady before me. Even though you're saying you follow me, there's something inside that's not following you. And that's where we get to. You know, we we let these little things, even while we're confessing faith, we let these things go wrong in us. And it puts us in these places. Think of, you know, I think about it. someone asked What's wrong with Ravi? Was everything Ravi Zachariah said a lie? Or he didn't believe any of it? No, I'm guessing he believed it with all of his heart. But he let these little things get into his life chip by chip by chip till it was devouring, you know. And um, this is the warning for all of us. You know, why do we do that? Why do we let these things into our lives? Why won't we follow God? And that's a complex question. And I'm sure for all of us, it's different. I mean, you see Jonah, one of the things that started him off on this path, and I think it starts us off on that path, is, uh, you know, he's convinced he knows better than God what's right, you know, what's best for him. You know, we don't know why he goes to Tarshish at the start. By chapter four, he tells you, it's because uh, I knew you were trying to show mercy to, to uh, Nineveh, and I, I wanted them judged, and I thought they should be judged, and what you're doing, God, is wrong. And there you are back in Genesis 3 again, aren't you? That, you know, the, the fall, they knew better than God what was best for them. And that's usually when we decide to do things we don't want, you know, it's because we think we know better. Or we, we know where the blessing lies. We know what we really need, God, and that's not the path you're laying out before me. So I, I'm going to go this way. And I kind of inside think that, you know, something, what God's really withholding good from me. He, he's trying to hurt me or not really help me I need to just do this because this will be the path of blessing, but it's not. It's the path which leads to the abyss. And every one of those decisions, and I think, you know, there's pride in there, uh, humbling ourselves. I think fear is a big thing which drives us. I think we often are afraid, we're afraid of what's gonna happen. We're we uh, uh, we feel like we need to take things at our own hands, you know. That God, I can't really trust God, that I am I'm fearful. And fear becomes a source of so much stuff that gets us in trouble. You know, it drives us so many times. And trying to stop. And I think connected with that, if you're talking about pride or fear or knowing what's best, I think you know, I think the devil then is the one who just stirs that pot and he's alive and active. I remember what Peter said, it's a it's a warning, right? Peter said. Uh, you know, cast all your anxiety on him, he realizes fear is a source, you know, it says, God, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you, be alert, and sober-minded, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, you know, it's like, look, it, you know, if you don't put these things in the right place, if you don't deal with your fear, and your pride, and your sense that God, that you know better than God, man, he's looking around to devour you, and that's, you know, in some ways, Joan is a picture of that devouring, of ultimately, you know, and some of these, like I said, you know, these other guys too. And uh, that's kind of this warning to us. But along with it becomes, this whole book is not a book of condemnation, right? The prophetic word of warning is so that we can turn, right? Because there is hope. I mean, as, as James said, right, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you, come near to God, and he will come near to you. What a phrase. Come near to God. He will come near to you. You know, God is longing for you to turn from that thing. There is no place where you've popped down. There's no way in which you've become callous that you're beyond it, right? That God wants to pull you back. And ultimately, that's the gospel message. Why Jesus came into the world. Why he actually went down into the abyss. Why he went into the depth. And you can see him quoting even you know, quoting uh, even Joan in that sense, you know, he went to the place where all of us deserve and arose out of it and conquered it so that he could be the champion that pulls us out too, that he could bear our judgment, that we can have grace and forgiveness through him, and he can give us that new life. That is because he arose that we can arise, and, you know, and we can hear the voice of the captain calling to us, arise and call on your God, and ultimately that is the promise to us, And we're going to talk next week in the second half of one of all the ways in which God is pursuing Jonah in the midst of this. But know now that he does pursue us, that we can turn to him and he says, call on me and I will hear you. Come near to God and God will come near to you. So that's our promise. It's a warning. (laughs) It's, it's It's fearful in one sense, but it's incredibly hopeful and promising in the next. He loves to hear from us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warning it gives us and the hope. Lord, we know that your presence is both an incredibly uh, melting, joyous sense that you're present with us, but too, it is fearful you do see and you know all things, Lord. Give us a heart which welcomes that, which welcomes walking and living in your presence in all aspects of our life. Even as the psalmist said, search us and know us. Lord, see if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We long to be led by you in your path and in your way in all parts of our life. We praise you, Lord